Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey folks, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And joining me today is Elliot Wolf, Chief Data Scientist at Lineage Logistics. Welcome, Elliot. And we've known each other for, for quite some time. I'm excited sure. to finally get you here <laughs> on the podcast. And we were kind of joking as to if you're on the podcast, you should also join as an investor, <laughs> as we were kind of bantering back and forth. Absolutely. But this whole season is about AI and its intersection with supply chain. Mm -hmm. And for many people in the world of supply chain, Lineage Logistics is a household name, right? Global leader in temperature-controlled logistics, both cold storage as well as transportation. But I don't think a lot of people understand or maybe even aware of how technology-centric and technology-driven the approach at Lineage is. And sure. all that said, Elliot, I'm going to shut up. What's the Elliot Wolf story? How did you get into this role? All right, so a little complicated. I was a math major undergrad. I think the, the one consistency in my life has been just a a deep love of mathematics and not necessarily even applied mathematics, just like math in general. When I was an undergrad, I kind of had this realization that I was good, but I was never going to be Fields Medal good. And so pair that with the realization that the there's many smart people studying math in the world. There's the bigger problem is that the world sucks at math. You have all this amazing capability that's just not utilized out in the real world. And so I had a thesis early on to try to find a, 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 an area that needed math, but didn't have much talent or didn't have much of a spotlight on it. And after a few fits and starts, especially after grad school in stats, I encountered the owners of lineage logistics. And the, the quote was, Hey, we hear there's math in, a, in logistics. Will you come take a look at our business? And that was 11 years ago that I met them. And since then, it's been an incredible privilege to build up the principal team of mathematical and scientific experts who are designing the food system. And so it's, it's perfectly consistent with my thesis as an undergrad. I just would have never said giant frozen warehousing as the basis for my career. That's right. That's right. And you, you made an allusion to your team here. Give us a sense of kind of size, makeup. What types of backgrounds, experiences the team you're leading has? And then kind of yep. what are the types of problems you're all focused on? For sure. So data science currently stands at 47 people within Lineage. And that sounds like a lot, but it's actually not given the size and scope of the problem. So these are the folks that are responsible not just for what nowadays might call AI, 
but these are the physicists that figure out the heat transfer for the new refrigeration systems and for the freezing systems that feed food or that freeze food for hundreds of millions of people. These are the systems engineers that design, design the reefer units and boxcars that will run around North America for 80 years or more. These are the graph theorists who figure out what goes on what truck and what truck goes in what direction. These are the, these are the machine learning engineers who, who figure out how to air traffic control food within warehouses or how to identify goods on pallets. Team is organized into four technical pillars and those technical pillars mirror the lineage business. And so you've, we've got a whole energy and R and D pillar. They're responsible for the cold and cold storage. We've got a transportation pillar. They do all of the trucking and all of the rail freight movements and all of the predictive load consolidation and sailing schedules for, for moving freight between warehouses. Then we've got what we refer to as warehouse algorithms. That's operational issues within the four walls of the warehouse. And then, uh, last but not least, we've got automation and think of that as new facility design both in terms of the physical facility, but also the decision automation that has to occur when you have a robot schlepping a pallet instead of a human. Yeah. The disciplines, lots of physicists, lots of electrical engineers. And why have few others, if anyone else, kind of approached it from this type of a vantage point, right? That, hey, this is actually a science, and if we get people right. of science and mathematical backgrounds, we can actually right. build a better enterprise. Well, I mean, that was my thesis as an undergrad was that the world sucked at math. And I still unfortunately think that that's broadly true. As a managerial dilemma within large organizations, very often people are constrained by their overlords. And so if you bring in a physicist and then you don't manage the physicist properly, suddenly you are you who have no idea the capability of modern physics are instructing the physicists on what to do. So lineage has been very careful and I think very forward and in giving us the autonomy and the intellectual freedom that we've needed in order to do what we do best. And on the flip side, we're laser focused to the financial outcomes of our work. And so if you take a warehouse and you use a virtual machine packing algorithm to set the pegs on the Ikea bookshelf and suddenly 30% more fits into the box, that's a useful outcome for a warehousing company. Mm. And so it's been this mutually beneficial flywheel where the more we do, the more benefit that it brings to the organization, the more resources and trust that we have, the more benefit we can bring. And, and that's, it's really taken 10 years to get to that point. I officially started at Lineage in 2013 and we're still going and we're still expanding. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of move forward here and you've seen this, you've observed this, you're probably even experiencing it. Over the last nine months or so, the world just got nuts yeah. over AI. Last November, right. ChatGPT was released and it feels like it's all anybody wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. And if you were to chat with my partners, they would also joke about how I'm a bit, say, critical and cynical of all these trend chasers. And, you know, you're a good example of why I'm cynical, because people like you have been implementing meaningful ML applications mm -hmm. for years. 
You started a decade ago. And mm-hmm. I'd be curious, like, what's your take on this recent development and all of this, you know, sudden excitement around something that's yeah. been around, especially in our industry for quite right. a while. Right, right. So, I mean, my thoughts are complicated. I think first, first and foremost, it's very validating. So if you take those of us working in industry, we're using AI ML and we have been for a long time on things like industrial controllers mm-hmm. or vision systems and production environments or labor schedulers or model predictive control for refrigeration systems. But you can't walk into a bar and tell someone and compare notes with someone about the a Siemens versus Allen Bradley PLC or a mechanism to come up with a, a labor schedule reflecting all of the union rules and and the needs of the customers moving in and out. Like that's not those things that I just described as part of our subject matter are not common human experience, not amongst the normal population, nor amongst most most even venture capitalists. I think Dynamo would be different because of your connections with so many different industries, but it's not there's not a lot of buzz around industrial controllers. Yeah. But now that the AI is extending to the human experience that everyone has and that everyone recognizes as complicated and that everyone can see for themselves vis-a-vis interacting via language with an intelligence, that's now they can see, oh, this is what all the hubbub is about. And so... You don't have to convince someone of the importance of an industrial controller to the economy for them to appreciate the economic impact of AI ML. You can now just say, hey, go mess with this thing and see if it tells you something you didn't already know. Say the large language models directly have had relatively little impact on the headline operations of warehousing. So... So for instance, in, in our world, we're predominantly dealing with very structured data. You have a, a manifest and the manifest consists of a set of line items and the line item consists of a set of SKUs and a set of quantities. And, and that's pretty standardized. You've got labor scheduling and, and the output is not a speech of George Patton trying to motivate the troops. The output is a labor shift schedule so that you staff the warehouse at the appropriate yeah. times. Where it is really starting to impact at least cold chain logistics is one, we have a big back office like every other company in the world. And mm-hmm. so, so you start to ask questions about, well, well, if we're trying to identify things like general ledger items, how would we do that? Historically, that's not been as topic for data science. We focused on the core economic drivers of warehousing, but if you can cut that admin, that's helpful. And then the other thing is, is that because there's such a long tail of providers in the logistics industry, we refer to our code name is uncle Bob of uncle Bob's trucking company. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, of concentration in logistics providers at least in transportation providers. So there's a lot of labor that goes into negotiating with Bob of Uncle Bob's trucking. And you start asking questions like, instead of trying to call Bob 
uh, or try to convince Bob to install an app, which then geofences Bob. Could you just have a chat bot that's connected to a voice simulator talk to Bob? Yeah. And, and that's not something we've implemented, but it, it, it has implications for, say, appointment scheduling, which has huge implications for our labor utilization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think what you've interestingly put on the table here is this separation between, for the last decade, uh, the, the AI that has come forth has been more so around very nuanced industrial-related topics, right. subject matter. At least really the AI that we've implemented. Yeah. But I've had a similar conversation with others, and, and I've almost dumbed mm -hmm. it down a bit, not, not to take away from how kind of deep these innovations are, but it's been blue-collar innovation for the last decade. Yeah. Chat GPT showed up, and yeah. to your point, hanging out at a bar, likely a white-collar worker, and right. they're now kind of seeing how they can be empowered or maybe even kind of how their day-to-day -day might be a bit threatened <laughs> if yeah. they don't figure out their edge. So. Right, right, right. And I'm not an expert in back office functions. I, I, my team does one thing. It's design warehouses and supply chains. And yeah. so from my perspective, if tools like Copilot or the large language models in general help us do that better and more efficiently, then that increases the ROI on an investment in my team. And that's, that's great. Yeah, agreed. And that's how we, we think about it here as investors too. Everybody has an open AI subscription and we have mm -hmm. access to BARD if somebody wants to kind of go on a yeah. doggle there. Right. But I'm gonna kind of pull this thread. What does the talent stack need to look like inside of a large supply chain organization to really kind of harness the power of AI? Because this is something you know people have asked us right. just, you know, is there do we need to hire different people? What does training look like? Where are the resources? Right. So where to begin? I think I'd make a I draw a distinction between the kind of intellectual technical aspects of this and the organizational aspects. So mm -hmm. on the intellectual side, we're the, the field is changing so fast. The, the underlying mathematical models are changing so fast. The training methodologies and the hardware is changing so fast that like, there's no way that an off the shelf graduate with the state of the art circa 2023 if constrained by the state of the art circuit 2023 will still be useful two to three years later. So yeah. it's more a capacity of being able to having learned how to learn and how to keep current all of this on all of this stuff. And we're kind of antiquated on this, but I think the hard science backgrounds, the physics, the math, the computer science, those have been the best, best intellectual foundations. We haven't flirted much with the data science grads, which would be my bias because I have a degree in mathematics and I went to grad school in stats, but it's, it's more like you need to have a deep, visceral, visual understanding of how this stuff is working and what's going on so that you can harness it and adapt it as opposed to be able to immediately implement a large language model because you did so in a class at Stanford yeah. in early 2023. 
And you also need varied backgrounds. So we're starting to see, for instance, the numerical methods used to train these models are starting to be affected a lot more by physics. And so the physicists are very good at modeling particles. And there's been forever analogs between, say, gradient descent and certain mathematical optimization algorithms in physical simulation. And so as the number one driver of the efficiency of training is, is how quickly can you run all these enormous calculations or critically, which, which drops do you need to drop down the side of your wine glass, a la gradient descent? The physicists are very useful at figuring that out much more than just brute forcing it. Yeah. And then also same with statistics and probability of a lot of these, a lot of these methods, particularly in the computer vision realm, you need a really good operational understanding of Bayesian statistics so that you know what you're looking at and how to interpret it properly. And so put that on the technical side, on the organizational side, you need someone who's can really communicate well. So, so my team, there's 47 of us, but we're within a, a 20,000, 25,000 plus person organization. We absolutely positively can't do our jobs without the partnership with say operations, which gets down and dirty with us in the warehouses and shows us all the constraints that underlie the problem. And then we can't understand this and maneuver around it without the partnership with the software developers who are actually building the software that actually executes the supply chain, which is a very different task than building the AIML code stacks. And then perhaps most importantly, these, the people that we work with are the guardians of the food system and you don't mess with that lightly. And so they have to trust that we know what we're doing and that we're all on the same team and that we're not just messing around for the sake of intellectual curiosity or out of some kind of uh, naivety. And so you need that trust and you need that clear communication and you need that partnership and you need, um, you, you need those, you need those, those brothers in arms. And, you know, on this topic, it's a very non-traditional novel way of building a team and having this team go interface with the various groups that ultimately mm -hmm. run the global food supply chain. Right. But what like culturally enables that, right? Like, and, and maybe for some of our listeners who are like turning around saying, oh, this is profound. How might they try to convince, yeah. you know, a peer or a superior as to, hey, like maybe we bring a couple physicists or like true statisticians in mm -hmm. order to work on certain problems that we've continually identified. Right, right. I mean, culturally, it's, you just, there's a lot. Okay. So, so say you come out of a, so I went to grad school at Stanford. So you come out of a place like Stanford, you've been told your entire life that you're special. And now you've got the huge buzz around AI. And not only have you been told your whole life, you're special, you're now being told by the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, every media outlet, every economic commentator, that you're the most sought after resource in the economy. The AIML engineer, particularly around something like, like large language models. Now, 
roll into a warehouse and encounter the people who are running that facility. If you conduct yourself like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, they are going to rightfully not engage with you. And it's not even because they think they're better than you. It's because how possibly are you going to help them? You don't understand their business. You don't understand what they need. You don't understand that Taiwan is getting 57 containers of meat transloaded from Union Pacific onto an evergreen container ship. You don't understand those freight networks. And so if you're coming out of an environment where you're constantly used to lecturing everyone about everything, and now you get into an environment where people where the number one thing you got to do is listen so that you can understand the constraints and figure out what would be most useful. That's a big, that's a big shift. And for us, at least it's, it's led us to focus on recent PhD grads. There's something about the graduate school experience that makes people really, I mean, graduate students, especially PhD students are probably the most underpaid, least loved class of employees throughout the economy. And so they get, I think a lot of them come out with, I think, a, a helpful attitude in this regard. But more than anything, there's something you could never train for, which is just a sense of adventure. Of, it's like, I'm standing on a container port today. That's got to be something that excites you over and above learning the latest mathematical method to architect neural networks. Yeah, no, I, I certainly appreciate that. And it's especially being willing to kind of take your competency and continue to be curious and apply yeah. it in a way where you're the beginner and right. have that kind of growth mentality. And to but, give you an example of this, take our physicist. So the gentleman who leads our energy pillar, his name is Alex Wolf. He's vice president for research and development at Lineage. He has a PhD in applied physics from Harvard. He has the world's record of the most efficient gallium nitride laser. He decided early on in his tenure at Lineage to go to the Ammonia Operator One training course in Garden City, Kansas. So he hauls his ass outside Garden City, Kansas to learn how to turn valves. And he did that because he needs to understand the nomenclature, and but also he needs to understand the heuristics by which the industry is operating so that we can figure out how to make these things better. Mm, I love that. I love that. What might be the most interesting application of AI inside a supply chain that you think folks should be aware of? Most interesting. I mean, this is like asking what's your favorite child. I'm... It could equally be your favorite application inside. <laughs> no, I think... You're not ever supposed to have one. If I had, let me pick two. Go. Okay. Of the two, in no particular order, is um, power grid management. So frozen warehouses are huge consumers of electricity, but they're also highly flexible in their consumption. We can cool down the warehouse to a colder temperature than it needs to be. We can let it ride up up to its, its maximum storage temperature. We can affect basically behind the meter grid storage on, um, on, in software on the frozen warehouse. But imagine all the prediction that needs to go on this. You need to predict the weather. You need to predict how many times you're gonna open the door in a particular hour. Um, even if you know all of those things, you're gonna need to 
you're going to need to come up with a set of control inputs around all of that, uh, that actually minimizes the cost and provides the maximum grid service. Um, and, and in particular, um, you imagine situations like when Texas decided to go back to the Stone Age for a week in February of 2021. There's so much value that the industrials can provide to the grid under those types of emergency situations. But it's, it's, it's a really hard set of both predictive and optimization problems in order to make that happen. The second for me is computer vision. So especially in the food system, we have to identify everything. We have to identify everything for the purposes of inventory accounting. If we lose it, we pay for it. But yep. more importantly, we have to identify everything in terms of shelf life. If we don't read that date on the milk carton correctly, then we could possibly sell someone funky milk, or you even imagine worse failure modes where someone gets sick or injured. You've, you've got huge unlocks in robotics and warehousing where you can build the building three times taller in an ASRS framework than in a forklift operated framework. But then that creates additional operational difficulties because now you have less area to move pallets in and out of warehouses. Vision solves all of that. And so we've been focused on uh, for years at this point on how to identify things and how to automate processes in the warehouses using computer vision. And the algos have gotten better and better, but also it's been a whole huge exercise in optical engineering where how do you detect a 0.1 millimeter feature at a distance of two meters? That's a really hard optical problem when you're trying to do that consistently over an object that is two meters tall by one meter and change wide, and then do it on all four sides. And so those types of problems. And then, and then lastly, if I'm allowed a third, Go for I'll it. give a nod to, to just good old combinatorial optimization where labor scheduling dispatch, you may or may not call those AI applications. There's been algorithms against those problems for years. I think, I think currently you might call them, but historically they've just been good old combinatorial optimization, but they do things as unsubtle as our labor utilization by almost 100% because because we're no longer having people constrained by, by working on a single order at a single time. And so therefore only moving stuff in one direction. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you giving us the kind of what it is, but also detailing it for us in a way that's quite understandable, <laughs> approachable. But I'm going to bring us home here, Elliot. Yep. And one of the things that you mentioned was just kind of the underlying developments in the space are changing day by day. And I'd be curious for those who may not necessarily have a super strong technical underpinning, who may not have a colleague mm -hmm. to lean on, what's your favorite place to go or where should they be dwelling? Who should they be meeting to stay abreast of this? Because what's happening today may not necessarily be right. relevant or rather will be the building block for tomorrow. I guess I'd, I'd again come at it from two ends where there's the intellectual end and then the organizational mm -hmm. end. Um, I could, there's a lot of people who could argue more effectively than me on the intellectual end of what do you need to study in order to stay abreast of all this. I'll focus on the organizational economic end of 
you got to find places where solutions to these problems will be valuable. In our case, if we were Hallmark cards, if we were a greeting card company, yeah, maybe you could use large language models to write the text, but yep. my virtual machine packing algorithms and all of my thermodynamics would do basically nothing for, for Hallmark cards. But you start looking at problems like what happened to the Port of Long Beach in 2021 looking at what happened to the Texas power grid in 2021, looking at, looking at the European energy markets and the dynamics with the grid, grid over there with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean, basically my advice would be to study all of those and figure out how we as an industrial base could do better in make in either minimizing the impacts of all of those perturbations or design or taking the learnings from all of those disasters and trying to design the grid to achieve some particular objective, whether it's the power grid, whether it's the food supply. There's so many things, especially looking back on COVID and COVID supply chains. It's like, what was done badly? And how could you imagine it being better? And then work backwards from that to say, okay, in order to make it better, what problems would I need to solve? What tools would I need in order to solve those problems? Then, okay, there's what I go study. There's the data that I go get. That's amazing. Be problem-centric rather than kind of yeah. solution-centric. Yeah. And you kind of see that right now where, in many respects, ChatGPT is a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. Everyone's looking at it. And, oh my God, this is amazing. What could we apply it to? We've found success by going the exact opposite way. Can we put more in the box in warehouses? Can we add value to the power grid and therefore save money on electricity? Can we, can we automate the warehouses? Can we up our labor utilization? And yeah. so it's interesting to watch the world kind of grapple with this. And it's grappling with it and having difficulty grappling with it precisely because it's starting with a technology and then trying to find a, an economic value for it. And there's definitely yeah. economic value. I'm not arguing that there's not economic value, but it's, it's, it's going the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, I'll close out by saying for founders who, who listen to that, this might be one of the few instances where one can show up with a solution and back into the problem. Right. Most other times show up to the problem and then solve it that way. Right. So exactly. But with that, Elliot, appreciate you coming on here, sharing your wisdom and continue to look forward to hearing about the cool things you and the team are working on at Lineage. We appreciate you. We appreciate the invitation and we appreciate the relationship and the partnership. It's been uh, great. I've probably done you six, seven years now. Indeed. Much appreciated. Cheers, Elliot. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.